As our children head back to Children's Church, our scripture reading today comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. In our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all of the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope before in the word of the gospel, in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. Just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. This you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and has transformed us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we are grateful for your word, and we are grateful that you allow us this time to ponder it, to think upon it, to reflect upon it. May our ears be attentive to what you would say to us today. We pray these things through the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Eventually, we're going to talk about this inheritance that we have, but it takes Paul a moment to get to this inheritance. And before we get there, I simply want to point out that you probably can't read much of anything, but most of you will recognize this as the format of a letter. Now, we don't teach letter writing. It's gone kind of the way of, of, of cursive over uh, the last few years, but it's easy enough to figure out if you want to write a letter, what's the format that you follow and where you, where you go from there. And the truth of the matter is I could spend three hours talking to you about the parts of a letter in the ancient world. Fortunately for you, I am not here to spend three hours talking about the parts of a letter in the ancient world, but there are some parts that are the same as our own parts from, from Paul. Now, everybody that would have received this letter would have immediately known who Paul was. Paul was getting quite a reputation in the ancient world, but he 
points out that he's sending the letter. This is coming by his authority. This is coming with, with his, his signature of sorts on it. I love how he describes himself, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, one of the definitions of apostle in the New Testament world is someone who had actually witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. Someone who had seen the resurrection, who had been with Jesus during his teaching, and Paul, in many cases, would not seem to have fit that definition of what it means to be an apostle, except for the fact that on the road to Damascus, Paul, who had set out to go and make sure that those Christians who had gotten everything wrong had his life turned inside out, Paul, who had set out with arrest warrants for Christians in Damascus, suddenly encounters the risen Christ in a way that is out of step, out of sequence with everyone else. All of the other resurrection encounters took place within 40 days after the resurrection, but then here Paul, on the way to Damascus, sees the risen Christ for himself and therefore can be called an apostle, one who has witnessed the risen Christ. He's not an apostle because the church got together and elected him. It's not because the leaders of the church said, we believe you are gifted in certain specific ways to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Now that's the way, in many cases, um, we talk about the calling of the church. People in the church will recognize that someone has the gifts to participate in the life of the church in very specific ways. And they'll go through this ordination process that takes years and years. But Paul says, I'm an apostle, not because anybody has elected me, but because God has chosen me. I am an apostle by the will of God. And Timothy, our brother. So, Paul and Timothy, from. That's where the return address goes. Paul and Timothy, to the saints and the faithful brothers and sisters in the Colossian church, grace and peace from God our Father. When we think about the fact that much of the New Testament, those parts that are not Acts or the Gospel or the the strange genre of Revelation, apocalyptic literature, almost... All of the rest of the books in the Bible are letters. Letters like one person might send to a group to be read by that group. Letters of encouragement. Letters of caution. Letters that were written by a specific person to a specific context. And it's as if we get to look over the shoulder of the readers of these letters initially. And we have to ask questions like, why was this letter written? Well, there are three different reasons why the book of Colossians, the letter to the Colossian church, was was written. The first of those reasons is this. Paul is arguing against Gnosticism that denied the deity of Christ. Gnosticism is a movement in the first century that believed that there was a distinct difference between the body and the spirit. And that in order to grow spiritually, you had to diminish yourself physically. 
In order to grow to be an enlightened person, you must set aside and even put away anything that was physical in the world. Christianity and Judaism, on the other hand, have always seen the physical and the spiritual as being intimately intertwined. Now, the particular problem with Gnosticism is that Gnosticism cannot hold in tension the spiritual and the physical when it comes to the incarnation of Jesus. If Jesus is fully God, fully human, incarnate, enfleshed, put in flesh, the Gnostics would say, mind blown, that can't happen because flesh and spirit can't inhabit the same vessel. And so the Gnostics had all of these ways to try to get around that. They would say, Jesus was not really a person. He only appeared to be a person because we know that the physical can't, can't take on the spiritual attributes that Jesus had. And so in the end, the Gnostics denied the incarnation, this idea that Jesus, both fully God and fully human, was one person with two natures. The second reason that Colossians was, deep in, was written is that Paul wanted to deepen the faith of the readers. He wants them to be mature and not immature. If my children had stopped growing at nine months, it's not a problem at nine months, but at three years, it becomes a problem. If my children stop growing at nine months, at 30 years old, it becomes a problem because maturing hasn't taken place. And there are a lot of Christians in the world who stopped growing the moment they accepted Jesus. Paul wants to remind us that God intends for our faith to be deep and for us to be led to maturity. And then the third reason that he writes is because he wants to give them an update on what's going on in his life. And let me give you a hint, spoiler alert, it's not particularly pretty. Paul suffers and he suffers greatly for the cause of the gospel. Let's take these one by one. So Paul is arguing about the identity of Jesus. And you will find fewer more powerful words than what Paul writes immediately after this text we look at today. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created. Things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or powers or rulers, all things have been created through him and for him. Later on, he'll talk about Christ in this way. For in Christ, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. Do you want to see the person of God? Look at Jesus. Do you want to see the nature of God? Look at Jesus. For in him the whole fullness of God dwells bodily. Now, turning to a kind of maturity, Paul talks throughout the letter of this maturity that he expects. He says, It is Jesus whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. 
We are not intended to be spiritual infants, spiritual babies. God intends for us to grow. You may not recognize that growth from day to day, and you know how it is if you've got grandkids. The parents see the grandkids growing up, but if you only see the grandkids every three or four weeks, good grief. I haven't seen my granddaughter in two months. That's going to change this afternoon, and she's going to look different than she did the last time I saw her. She's going to be able to do things that are different than she could do the last time I saw her, and that is because she is growing in maturity. We receive these gifts of God and we grow. And here's what the next passage in chapter 2 looks for. As therefore you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So this call to maturity, to being rooted and built up, just as the teaching of Christ prods us on toward maturity, not being infants and babes forever. And then the third piece, the the reason that he's writing, is to give an update on himself. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in prayer with thanksgiving, and at the same time, pray for us as well, that God will open to us a door for the word that we may declare the mystery of Christ, for which, by the way, I'm in prison, so that I may, even though imprisoned, even though harassed for being a follower of Jesus, I may reveal it clearly, as I should. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time, and let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. Now, as we look at the theology of the specific passage that we read this morning, there are three words that come up, the same words that Paul uses over and over again in the same context. You will remember them from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. For these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these, he says in 1 Corinthians, is love. Now, pay attention to how in our passage for today, faith, hope, and love play out in this text. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope before in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. And just as it is beginning to bear fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. Faith and hope and love lead to praise. Faith 
that God loves this world and wants to enter into this world to the degree that he became incarnate. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Hope. If God loves us that much, then this life must be worth something. If God loves this world to the degree that he entered into it, not just to party and have fun, but he entered into it in order to offer himself and save it, this world must have something beautiful to offer to those who live in it. And if we have faith, and if we have hope, then our life in love will turn upward toward God and outward toward others. Because faith and hope and love are foundational virtues. They are qualities of life as well-grounded and mature Christians. Paul offers his prayers for the Colossian church. He offers his prayers and, and very explicitly he says, For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. Now, I want to point out, very often I preach from narrative texts where there's a story that is unfolding. These are, these are more logical texts, the letters of Paul where he argues. And one of the clauses that you will see is a purpose clause. X, so that Y. I cleaned up my living room so that it would be ready for company who was coming. I grilled hamburgers and steak so that the camp counselors who showed up would have something to eat at our house last week. So the, the purpose clause tells you why something is done, okay? So the purpose that we are filled with the knowledge of God, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why are we filled with the knowledge of God? So that, this is the purpose, this is what it's all moving towards. You may live lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And you may bear fruit in every good work as you grow in the knowledge of God. God intends for us to live worthy lives to bear fruit in all that we do and to grow in the knowledge of God and to be strong, to have an identity that comes from a place of strength. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power and may you be prepared to endure everything even should it come down to imprisonment with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. You have a part of the inheritance. 
God's people have a part of the inheritance, this portion, this share in God's resources and intentions for the world. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have a kingdom. We have redemption, forgiveness. So my question to you is, what would you be if? What would you be if you lived by the strength of Jesus in faith and hope and love. What if you stopped complaining about all of the ways your life has gone wrong and all of the things that the 24-hour news stations tell you you need to complain about constantly? What if you stopped thinking about everything that has gone wrong with the world and begun and began to live in faith and hope and love in the strength of Jesus. What would happen? Who would you be? Who would you be? Who would you be if you knew that you had an inheritance, if you knew that you had a share in God's future, in God's resources, in God's love? Who would you be if you knew that the one who loves you stands prepared to forgive you so that you might live in joyful, powerful witness to the good of God. Who would you be if that weight of guilt and sin were wiped away? Who would you be if you knew you were forgiven? and could start life afresh. A new creation created in Christ Jesus for good works. Who would you be if only you could live by this? As we bow in prayer, I want you to think about who you could be if you put your whole faith in the gospel. If you understood what it meant to be a member, a citizen of the kingdom of God, forgiven, set free, made whole, who can go out and testify to the world of God's just and redeeming love, of God's mercy that is even more profound than justice, of God's compassion that is far deeper than anger. Who would you be if you really believed in the God whom Paul writes of? Let us pray. Lord, we give you thanks for a man who, even in the midst of jailing, persecution, stoning, beating, could write to a church about maturing in Christ. Don't leave us satisfied with being babies, but draw us to yourself 
And may we never be satisfied until we can be satisfied that you are ours, that we are yours today, tomorrow, and forever. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. When I consider what you away, and I'll fly away, and glory, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away, and I'll fly away, oh, glory, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away.